hub, and spoke. Audio Collective. This episode is sponsored by Dobbs Maple. Dobbs makes small batches of locally sourced granulated maple sugar, which is just like regular sugar, except it's way better. I bought some last month. I use it in place of cane sugar. I use it in pancakes and on French toast and in recipes. But I'm also not ashamed to say that I mostly eat it um, straight out of the bag. And I think that probably I'm not alone. I think probably other people do that also. Dobbs Maple. It's a tiny operation like mine, so it feels good to give them money and you get something really good in return. You can find them at DobbsMaple.com, D-O-B-B-S, Maple.com. On to the show. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. When you live in a place where there is no, there's no hope that things are going to change in the future, everybody lives on the edge. Everybody is just edgy. And if, you're, if you don't live on the edge and if you don't feel like you're on the edge, you won't be able to survive. You have to get hard. I was never going to be the type of person that's going to be all the way on the edge. <laughs> I had good grades, you know, and I cared and I really didn't want to get in trouble. But there were kids that just leaned into it and just became really badass motherfuckers. And <laughs> there's no consequences because there's no future. So whether I punch you in the face and I get expelled for a week or a month, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't like it, my future is already written. That's Irfan Shehich. He grew up in Bosnia and spent most of his childhood living in a civil war. One day the kids across the street were his best friends. The next day they were enemies. His father would fight in the war a few days a week and then be back for dinner. It was complicated. I met Irfan on a Zoom call. He and my friend Robbie interviewed me about Rumblestrip for their podcast. We talked about Rumblestrip for about 10 minutes, and then it went completely off the rails, and we spent the next two hours talking about love and death and money and what are we supposed to be doing here. And at some point, Irfan said, Man, if I got caught talking like this in Bosnia... I'd get punched in the face. I guess when you grow up in a war, there isn't a lot of patience for that kind of talk, which is too bad because Irfan is one of the funniest and one of the most curious people I've ever met. I wanted to talk with him about growing up in a war. He told me I couldn't understand it, but I kept asking him to tell me anyway. I grew up in, in a town called Livno. It's right on the edge of the border with Croatia. The whole country is called Bosnia and Herzegovina. So Herzegovina is the part where I'm from, but not really. Like, I'm on the edge of that, but I'm also on the edge of Bosnia. So we're, like, on two edges in this country. And there is a lot of Bosnian Muslims, which is what my family is. And then there's a lot of Catholics, which is what my mom's side of the family is. Like, my grandmother is a Catholic from Croatia. Uh, and there was Orthodox people. So, in your town, you're all mixed together in yeah. this town. Yeah, and that's the problem. Like, when American ambassador goes there and tries to explain the war to Americans on American TV, they say, this is a really weird thing because they all look the same they all act the same they all 
they all wear the same uniform you don't know who's who unless see i'm already like getting like i'm getting goosebumps but you don't know who's who unless they have a patch on the arm they're they're all the same people it was a it was a really weird war for people to make sense throughout the history for the most part we lived together i mean there were real problems in world war one world war two especially there were problems but yeah for the most part we kind of either lived together or knew how to tolerate one another and then when the war happened like it didn't make sense so you're how old were you when it so when the war started i was first grade and when the war ended i was in fifth going in sixth grade but the time after the war i felt was maybe even worse in some aspects when you talk about you know you're in first grade you're a little person yeah what's happening like how do you see it feel it how does how do you access it right so when the war started we lived in a place in like a suburb kind of village kind of suburb of the city and our next door neighbors were orthodox we had some bosnian muslims that lived there but most it was just catholic and then, but those people were, were all friends all together and nobody cares what religion you are nobody cares about anything we're all in the living life together and when when the war starts my best friends these orthodox that were living next to me are enemies and you, we don't feel like I don't feel their enemies. I don't feel their mom and dad are enemies. I don't feel like I, there's no problem. Like we're family, you know. Like, and then you know, all the Orthodox now are become they're either gonna get killed or something is gonna happen. So the most humane thing was just to collect them, so get them in buses and get them out of there. Why the Orthodox? Why are they at more risk? So the war, the reason why the war started, like the, the country was Yugoslavia and the war started because uh, Slovenia and Croatia and Bosnia didn't want to be part of this communist country anymore. And Croatia is predominantly Catholic and Bosnia is predominantly, it's a mix of Muslim and Catholics and Orthodox. Serbia is mostly Orthodox and Serbia at first uh, was considered to be aggressors because they're all Orthodox and they're aggressors these orthodox people that lived in bosnia and croatia were considered to be an enemy so if you live where you're a minority you're gonna be uh, an enemy and uh, attacked the so orthodox most of the serbs are orthodox yeah but not every orthodox is a serb because these people lived in bosnia they were born in bosnia their parents their grandparents their great-grandparents they're all born in Bosnia, in like, uh, this town, this area, but they always considered themselves to be Serbs. So if you ask them, I, I think for most part people, you know, if you're Catholic living in Bosnia, even though your family's been living there forever, they really want to feel Croatian and not Bosnian. Like it's a dirty thing to feel Bosnian. So going back to your neighbors, yeah, how were you given the message? I remember what, what, seeing what buses. I remember seeing buses and seeing people get in there and there are some things in life where the best thing is just to like not even go there you see it you try to ask a question and you just don't go there you mean as a child as with a your child. parents 
with anyone. I look back and I try to make sense of these images. You look and you have an emotion that's scary and don't even go there. You know, the messed up thing about that is, is that the war started and they were the enemy. And, and then the war was happening against that enemy. And Bosnian Muslims and Catholic people that were living, you know, in the place where I lived, we were fighting together against the enemy. And then like halfway through the war, Catholics turned against us. And now we are the enemy. So where three years ago they were getting on buses, now we had to get out of there because we were in danger. So we are them. When you're yay high yeah, and you're no longer able to play with your friends across the street, do you have any recollection of a conversation or a gesture or something that related to you that these were the new no. These were the new rules. Like, I know that no one wanted a war, and I like I knew that there really wasn't an enemy. Like, uh, yeah. I remember when I was younger, like bef maybe like first and second grade, we were listening to the radio, and this song came on, and it was the song that's. It was like meant to rally the troops, you know, like we're protecting our home and whatever. And I remember like at first being proud of this, just feeling like something. I remember all of us around the radio, like listening to the song and feeling something. And then like halfway through the song, they started this. I, I halfway through the song, I felt this isn't for me like started being too specific about these catholic people that were living there and i felt like this isn't for me but it better be because if you don't get into it like you're gonna be left behind nisi me videla odročenja samo si rekla doviđenja od sumo I otišla u drugi dom. Was there anyone in your life who you could talk to about? Absolutely not. Not even my parents. Nobody. That's like, to me, what you said right now, is there anyone you can talk to? That seems like a ridiculous question. You can, there is no, there, what are you going to say? What can you possibly say? To what? who? Well, like, I don't even know. I, like, I don't know what you mean. Like, they have their own shit that they're dealing with, you know? The, the, my mom and my dad, unrelated to being parents, they're like people that need to survive this. And they have their own traumas that they have to deal with. Like, I honestly don't even know what to say about that question. <laughs> like what am I gonna who am I gonna say something to? We're all in it together, like deep in it. There's no one to talk to. Yeah. I mean good question. I've never thought of that. Good question. I've never, never thought of that. Never thought Nev never thought of that. Yeah. I mean it seems silly now that like a question like that, who who who'd you talk to?
war is really a big blind spot for people i think in america and i think i i probably would prefer it to be that way in many ways i mean because i live here now and you know my kid is american and i think it's best if you're just blind to it but war war is very complicated people don't understand how complicated war is and you know you can say that and i say that and you heard the word complicated and you have a relationship with that word complicated so just take that relationship and take that word and apply it to every aspect of your life and then multiply it by a thousand like everything is complicated just starting from interpersonal relationships forget about it complicated surviving eating food having enough food complicated having enough to eat to drink water complicated uh, birthday forget about it right the fact that the war is even happening complicated who wants it no one wants it no one wants the war people on the other side fighting you they don't want the war my dad goes to fight he doesn't want to go right nobody wants it so I'm married to an Orthodox. Her whole family is Orthodox. Where she's from and where her family's from, they're about an hour away from where I'm from. So, and where she's from is almost 100% Orthodox. So, when my dad was fighting, he would go up in the mountains to fight her dad. My dad is coming from south going up north to fight. Her dad is coming down and there is a line of defense there and they would be shooting at one another and fighting. It's a complicated thing. I'll get real specific. Me, Bosnian Muslim, living in a predominantly Catholic area. Most of my friends end up being Catholic. Halfway through the war, now we're kind of enemies. But I have to play soccer and live my life with friends so for a while i had no friends like i lost all the friends like i lost the orthodox friends because they got kicked out and then i lost the catholic friends for a while because the war got complicated and then i tried making friends not in my neighborhood but in the few streets over where there were more Muslims I tried doing that and it just didn't feel right like it didn't it, it, I I didn't like that so you know I, I went back and you know I tried being friends with my with my friends and you know, I, I felt it was something was always missing and what was weird about that is an hour and a half away from where I lived there was an area there was a city where there was all predominantly Muslims not that many Catholics, not that many Orthodox, all predominantly Muslims. So those people were just abusing all the Catholics and Orthodox that were there. So Muslims were like terrorizing Catholics and, uh, and Orthodox there. So those Catholics that were living like an hour and a half away from where we lived, they were a minority there. So they moved out of that place, out of their homes to live where I live. So now they're my neighbors, and then they look at me like, your name's Irfan. It's like, dude, I just got fucking kicked out of my house by Irfan, right? And not even that, that's, that's like best case scenario. You just got kicked out, your house got burned down, whatever. You have to move 90 minutes, you know, east.
so I'm thinking of these, these two guys, two cousins. One guy that was a good friend of mine, that he, it was him and his sister and his older brother. Their dad got killed in the war by Muslims in where, in where they lived. But not killed, like killed, got shot from somebody from far away. He got killed by somebody sliced his throat, like violent death, right? So this family has had, had a trauma and they come here and now I don't know how they feel about me. It's totally possible and accepted that they hate me, right? But that guy was a good guy. That guy was a good friend to me. But his cousin was a, was a mean guy that never liked me, that always wanted to fight me. Every day of high school, he, this guy kind of tortured. But it was just the type of guy that I didn't even like, even if he was nice, I wouldn't like. He had tight jeans on, <laughs> he had tight shirt on, he had too much gel in his hair, and he was an idiot. He had bad grades. So it wasn't the type of person that I was going to associate with in the first place. And, you know, that's the guy that he sent me a friend request a few months ago, sending me friends requests on Facebook. And I'm like, do you not understand like that you ruined my life, that you tried to ruin my life? You, you understand that? And they remember childhood just like you would remember your childhood. It was, it was just a childhood. That's what it is. And now they're grown-ups, married, families living in that town. And they remember me as a schoolmate, as a soccer player, uh, whatever. But they don't remember all the, all, the sh you know, all the stuff that they put me through, sometimes on a daily basis. So, you know, like... Friend request denied. U moje puste odaje zbog toga toplog dodira u meni vatra budi se. Did, did your father ever... Got wounded or got... Yeah, but did he ever talk about what happened no, to him? No, 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 no. I, he would go for three days and come home and then he would go for three days and come home so they all had like their shifts he would go there come back go come back go come back and every time when he went i was afraid that he is not going to come back and there was like a real that was like the biggest fear i've had i had during the war he would go and he would die or he would get wounded or or something and i remember being real real fear like the most important the most significant fear that was that fear that like when he was away that not that something's gonna happen to us but when he was away that he was gonna die uh and then i would be without him when you, when he came back after his three-day uh, stint relief and what was the dinner conversation no 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 nothing but how do you nothing you don't you don't ask because i i when I was younger, I said, did you ever kill anyone? I asked, have you killed anyone? And he said, that's just bad etiquette. That, that's a, don't, don't ask that question. Nobody talks about that. And we never talked about it. He never discussed anything. that ha I had no idea what went on when he was there. But you, so you're either talking about it or you're sitting there and what's happening is you're not talking about it not talking about it right but that's that has a particular feeling also it's not that it, no, it's we not didn't, there, get there. we that wouldn't get there like again the, this, the fact that you don't understand that it's so ridiculous to me that you would like ask that question because it's it was never on my radar you know obviously I spent a lot of time thinking about this and thinking about the problems of this whole thing never came to that question that you just asked 
It's so crazy to say that he would come back from, you know, war and he would talk about it. That to me is so insane. You know what I mean? Uh, no, of course I don't. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but I you know what I mean? You, you know, like... I mean, I understand the utility in not talking about something as pressing even as, that, yeah. and as complete as what you're, all, what, what you're living in every day. But I would like to get closer to understanding what it feels like to sit at the table and not talk about it. Mm. Because, I mean, maybe it's not, I mean, it's your entire childhood. So yeah. maybe it's not expressly on nothing. your mind where it's you nothing. just came from. Yeah, it's literally nothing. There isn't a level that that question registers with me. So does that mean that during a war that is ongoing for your most of your childhood, that it's actually not the thing that's most on your mind? No, it's not the thing that's most on my mind. Is it inevitable that when you have a con- this conversation with me or anyone like me who hasn't lived through what you did, that there is a disconnect that cannot be... Is there- yeah, yeah. No, you're, you're, you're right. It's like... You're 100% right. I feel that you can you can never understand me. The richness of when somebody goes through something as messed up as a war, and you go through it every day for like five years. And then after the war, you go through different type of shit for another five years. And I told you, after the war was worse. I feel after the war was much worse. No matter what I tell you, no matter how long we go into it. No, and if you say like, I want to do this for two months, is still there's a disconnect. It's like oranges and cats, and that's not to like this you or or anything. Like, I married my wife because I love her, of course. But my wife and I have a connection that cannot be fabricated or matched with anyone else that hasn't experienced what we have experienced. You know, supposed enemies, you know. She doesn't need to tell me what she felt like when she couldn't eat a candy one, one like TikTok for her birthday. She doesn't need to tell me that. Like, and, and we don't need to talk about that. We don't need to discuss it. We don't need to put it in the words and like, it's just there. I know, she knows. It's just there. It's it's a messed up thing. Kuda ideš, srećo moja, što mi nadu, rušiš ti. Zar ću opet u životu sam ostati? As bad as it was, when we saw people leaving to go to America and to go to Germany, I felt, I personally felt that those people were weak. How are you leaving your country to go somewhere else? You're, you're giving up because you're weak. Everyone that left I thought weak. My parents didn't want to leave because they were just hoping that things are going to get better. I mean, we went through the war, so you know we're going to we're going to stay. But th- th- things are not getting better. So maybe those people are not weak. Like this is just pointless to be here. There's nothing here because I had good grades and I wanted to have a good future. I just didn't see any future there. So my parents didn't think that they're going to move. And I remember them having a conversation with my aunt and my uncle 
they came over, you know, one night and they were they were talking and they were just they were having conversation of that they're absolutely not gonna leave because why would they leave? You know, I think they felt similarly that weak people leave. And in front of them, maybe the first time that I felt hurt as an adult, uh, seventh grade, I said, "Do you want me to? Do you want me to hear what I want to say about this?" And they go, "Sure." And I was surprised that they said that because I was expecting a slap in the face. And then I said my piece and I said, I think we're making a mistake for staying here. Things are getting worse. It's not getting any better. And I think we need to apply to move. And and I think if you don't do it, I'm going to try to do it myself. And that's going to be my goal in life to get out of here because there's no future here. And there was a silence and nothing was said. And then a week later, they said, we're going to apply. Before you came, you, so how old were you when you were... When I came? When you came? 17. And what did you expect this place to be like? And like in a movie. Like a movie. So I was expecting to come and live in Bel Air. All of America is Bel Air. You know, like that's all it is. Like Fresh Prince of Bel Air. That's what it is. And then I come here and I'm so surprised the houses, buildings are made of two by fours. It's like, where's the cement blocks? Where's the bricks? Where's stone? Because in Europe, that's the, the houses were built of that. This is so stupid. But when I came, to, we, they moved, we moved to, in Barrie. And Barrie, Vermont. Barrie, Vermont. And I'm looking and I'm like, is this where, I swear, I, this is not a joke. I'm looking around, I'm like, this is where they film cowboy movies. Because it's all made of like wood. And like, this is where they film cowboy movies. This, this is how stupid I was. So th for like a week, I thought this is where they make, cow first week, this is where they make cowboy movies. America is so freaking cool. They brought us here where they make cowboy movies. And, but why are we here? Oh, we must, go we're going to be extras in the movie because you need extras in the movie, right? So we are, you got all these white immigrants that are gonna be extras in these cowboy movies. And I felt peaceful. I was like, oh, okay, that's cool, probably. Like, I don't know, it's probably not hard work, you know? Because there's, there was no other explanations why all the, all the houses were built of, like, wood. And then, like, third day in, I went around, because I remember seeing like how movies are made. You have like these little tracks where cameras go and you need to have a track so you, the camera doesn't shake. So I went around and looked through the grass to see if I can find tracks for where they would have like cameras and crews. And I'm like, I'm not seeing any crews and I couldn't find any tracks. And, and I knew it was kind of stupid, it was probably stupid and so I couldn't ask my cousins, like, is this where they film cowboy movies? So after a few days, I just was like, no, this is, this is the reality. They're like, they live in barns. Like, they, like the best house is a barn. Like, this, this is what it is. Your status, your family moves from the, its home to this place to start a new home. Yeah. How, your definition of, of yourselves, how does that change suddenly? Yeah, yeah I mean, I got to tell you, it was impossible for me to get to that level to think about that because when i came to america it was so exciting it's bursting with opportunity that my future was no opportunity nothing it was written for me and then you come here and you're like 
I can be a millionaire, which is what I thought I wanted to be. And like, it's all opportunity here, opportunity here, opportunity here. You go to sleep, you dream of an idea, you wake up in the morning, you go for it. And you know that wasn't possible. So and I you felt that you felt that right away. Right away, how, first how? day, first day. Okay, where did you see that? What were you? You open the fridge. You open the fridge. Fridge full of food. Everyone has their car. You want to work? You can work. You want to have two jobs? You can have two jobs. You want to have three jobs? You can have three jobs. You want to go to school? Yes, you can go. You can go to school. Whatever you wanted to do, whatever you wanted to imagine, you can do it. You want to have a personal computer? Go to Walmart and buy yourself a personal computer. I had an information technology class in high school in Bosnia, and we had computers that were not hooked up to internet. So you go through, you just go through start and you go through every folder and you learn like what is a file, print, you go just go through, you like, you learn what it is, but you have no idea what you're doing, you know? You, I learned like about DOS, you know, like it was so silly. And then you come here and like everything is just available. Like it literally felt you were given like a cheat code to life. Like a cheat, like a cheat sheet. Like cheat, a- yeah, 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 yeah. So just for the first few months, it was just it was just pure elixir like pure excitement and where what was what, what were you living in what were where? an apartment on elm street and barry we lived there for a long time we knew the extent of what that apartment was but you know it didn't bother us because overwhelming thing is like an opportunity a sense of opportunity so when we came to america part of like getting used to the life and part of becoming American is like you go to these classes a couple of times a week so we were going to the classes in this church in Barry and this wonderful teacher Mary Mary Beth Ellen I think is her name so Mary Mary Beth or Mary Ellen something like that wonderful person probably a volunteer she would come and she would teach these classes and while I, I was at these classes this woman, this Portuguese woman came and she's been, she was in America for like 30 years, but she still came to te- learn English. Well, she, she just happened to be an owner of three Dunkin' Donuts because Dunkin' Donuts is owned by Portuguese people. So she's like, oh, you want a job? Come work. I speak very little English. I go, you hear me? She, You'll be good. And so she, I go, I, she goes, come tomorrow. So I come uh, after school and, and she goes, go clean the bathroom. So I go and I start cleaning the bathroom and I'm just cleaning the hell out of that bathroom. I still remember like what I was thinking like when I was cleaning the bathroom because I'm cleaning the walls and I'm like, I was feeling like this isn't me to, to be cleaning the bathroom, but I didn't want to be at the register because I didn't like, what the hell? So, so I was just scrubbing behind the toilet. I didn't want to get out. And it was just scrubbing, like really going for it. Something that was never clean, that was never gonna get clean. Because it was just, you know, like the piss shit stains that are always there. That are, you're not gonna clean the public toilet to be what it, what it, what it is, you know. I was cleaning that. <laughs> I, was, I was cleaning my childhood out of this public toilet. But I didn't want to get out because I didn't want them to fire me. Because they're gonna realize, oh my God, this guy really doesn't speak English. So that's what was happening, right? So I'm cleaning. And her daughter comes in and she's like, okay, well, that's good enough, <laughs> but it's getting real busy here and we're going to have, we're going to need you to register, not train. So, you know, like a rush comes in of people buying coffee and I go and I, and I don't even, I haven't even touched money. 
like the quarters, dimes, nickels, pennies. I, I don't even know how to do the register thing. Like I think before they got me on a register, they were like, this is what it is. But I didn't tell them like, I don't know what this money is all about. So, so I gotta figure it out. I'm not, I'm not you know, like I know math, I'm not stupid, but you know, so anyways, there was this girl who worked there who's who's like limit in life was gonna be like maybe she's gonna be a supervisor at Dunkin Donuts like that was her top and but, and I don't mean that in a bad way there's some people that are like that and that doesn't mean she she was a bad person and we were gonna be friends we were we became real good friends right so anyways she's there and you usually would expect that type of person or I would expect to that type of person to be judgmental and be mad that I'm slowing down the traffic and messing up her workflow and she needs to like be dealing with this guy like so I'm trying to talk to people and she is she can't even have the noise that to come out of her body because she's laughing so hard so when I saw that she isn't hating me that I'm like annoying like this and slowing down the workflow that's when it became like so much easier for me to to work and like there would be they, like some people would say like can i get like a bagel toasted with what what is a bagel i never that, that thing didn't exist like i didn't know what bagel is what cream cheese is so that was fun right and you know you know like i started working and i'm like oh my god i can make like tips and the wage i would go to school and i was making like two thousand dollars a month from Dunkin, Donuts. from Dunkin Donuts and it was great it was like the best I'm like I can do I can have my own Dunkin Donuts like I can I can have my own Dunkin Donuts like I'm gonna work here I'm gonna be a supervisor soon and then I'm gonna have my own Dunkin Donuts and I can have like uh, I can have many of these and I'll figure out how to scale it and it felt like 6'4 you know I'm 5'10 I felt like I was 6'4 LeBron James slam dunking life even though you know you live in Barrie you know work at Dunkin Donuts you go to school smelling like fried dough. <laughs> there was nothing LeBron James about me, but that's just how I felt, you know? And you know, you can be who you want to be. You don't have to be worried you're going to get punched in the face. Kuda idesh srecho moja što mi Zarču opet u životu sam ostati kuda ideš srećo moja One of the biggest things that happened to me as a kid I saw people around me no teeth right or bad teeth, cavities and whatnot. And I don't know how I got a box of toothpaste and a box of toothbrushes in the war. So I hit it and I brush my teeth like 10 times a day because I didn't want to be what these people were. Like I was aware of like, this isn't what I want. But I go to high school hungry with raggedy clothes but I see these kids, they're, they're not skinny and they have money to buy lunches at school and they have money to buy good looking clothes and whatnot. And I seem to be suffering more than they do, right? And like, this isn't fair. Like, I have the best grades. Why are they better off than I am? And every day I'm going hungry to school. I come home and I'm hungry. I'm all, all the time hungry and I'm getting real desperate. 
it's just like day after day, like months, months, months of hungriness. And I get to the point where I have to ask myself, like, let's go through these options. Am I going to starve from death? Like, am I, am I going to die? I didn't think I was going to die, right? There was always going to be enough food to survive, okay? So there was this period, like a couple of months, where we had one meal a day and it was just potatoes. My mom made potatoes many different ways. So I go to school hungry and I'm like, there's going to be food today. I'm going to come home. There's going to be food on the table. I'm, w- I'm willing food on the table. As I'm walking home to eat, I am just reciting all these prayers. I have no idea what the fuck I'm saying. So it all is getting to this moment where I come to the table and my dad and my sister and my mom is bringing food to the table. And I'm like, I'm sorry. The thing wasn't there's going to be food on the table. That wasn't the thing. There's going to be something other than potatoes because I, I, I am so sick and tired of potatoes. Like I would rather not eat anything but not potatoes today. So as she's bringing food, I don't want to look up because I don't want to see potatoes. And I'm like this, head down, not potatoes, not potatoes, but like not potatoes. And, and I look up and it's just fried potatoes. And I start crying. I'm crying and I don't want to cry because I don't want to be a burden to my family. And I'm crying, but I want to hide it. And the more I hide it, the more I'm like, and my dad's like, are you okay? And I go, mm-hmm. And then he's not like, what? he's not, he's not like, it's okay. You know, he's not coming to me and saying like, it's okay. He's not checking in with me. He's like, are you good? I go, yeah. And he doesn't know why I'm crying. I, I didn't tell him why I'm crying. And, you know, I'm crying and then, and then like, like I have a moment of clarity. I look up and I'm like, we're together and we're about to eat food. Big positive. We're not going to die, right? We're not going to starve. Nobody in the family died. Nobody is wounded. We're healthy and safe right now. I felt I'm a King Kong. Like I just felt that nothing can break me after this. It just felt complete clearness of everything, but also nothing. That was Irfan Shehich. If you want to make a comment, we would love to hear from you. Just go to rumblestripvermont.com and go to the show page. And at the bottom of that page, there's a comment box. Also, if you were to make a comment on Apple Podcasts, that would be great because that helps new listeners find the show. You can listen to our epic podcast, the Robbie and Irfan podcast on YouTube, but I don't know if you'll find it if you search for it. So I will put the link to that show on my website, also on that show page. Again, this episode is sponsored by Dobbs Maple, makers of the best granulated maple sugar in the world. Find them at DobbsMaple.com. Rumblestrip is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of independent podcasts from around the country. This week I am recommending The Lonely Palette, a show that does the 
absolutely impossible magic of making visual art interesting in audio. You can start with performance artist Patty Chang and her piece Melons, which involves melons and eating them. To find the show, visit hubspokeaudio.org, where you can find all the shows, actually. This is Rumble Strip. I'm Erica Heilman. Thanks a lot for listening. Ich da jetzt zu Gabriel.